What's up, Myco family? Microtrophic here. Welcome back to the podcast where together we are going to grow in mind, body, spirit, and mushroom. In today's episode, we have a special guest, a grower's grower, and a subject matter expert in mycology from FC Genetics or Full Canopy Genetics, also under Full Canopy Mycology in Colorado. They were established in 2022, but have 15 plus years of experience in mycology. Today, we have Kyle Obenberger. Thank you to uh, you and your company for coming on the show. Uh, how are you today, man? Thanks for coming on. Doing pretty well. It's almost Friday, so you're not allowed to complain, right? Yeah. Um, thanks for having us. We're uh, real excited to share some of the stuff that we've been working on, um, as well as some of the stuff that we will be working on. That's, that's kind of more exciting to me right now, but that's kind of how I always am. It's like, what's the next big thing? I get that. Totally. Well, thank you again for taking some time out of your day to come on the show. I have personally a lot of questions just about the, I guess the Colorado market. Uh, last time I was there, I was in Denver and I think it was right around the time there was legalization for cannabis. So I'm kind of interested to see how you guys are operating some of your hurdles and things of that nature. But first and foremost, just with you, let's kind of talk about uh, your personal journey into mycology. When did that start? How did that start? And how did it develop into your current position where you're at now? So it's actually kind of funny. I'm the least experienced mycologist on the team by like total amount of time since you started. But I've also probably spent the most amount of time in front of a flow hood working with genetics on the team during that time period. Um, sorry about the vacuum cleaner going on in the background. We're pretty busy over here. But basically, um, mycology started for me when I was working in the grow one day and my buddy Tim, um, like I was working in the veg and veg was kind of a mess when I got in there like a few weeks beforehand, but then we got it managed and it's like, all right, it's noon and we have nothing to do. What do you do in veg? Go defan some of the thousands of plants that need to be yep. defan. I'm like, man, I need something to listen to. I was like, Tim, you got anything good for me to listen to? He's like, Joe Rogan. I'm like, Joe Rogan? He's like, yeah, you got to listen to this guy, Paul Stamets. I'm like, okay. And that evening, I bought sports rooms. They worked. The The pitch definitely worked. Um, and I went on Sporeworks, got some sports syringes, um, struggled along with multi-spore, not really knowing what I was doing with Agar, the still air box. Um, I got a Presto, got all the things to do everything all by yourself. Um, I'm kind of an insane person in that I started doing all of my mycology by making everything but my own genetics at the start. Um, and I even tried to make my own genetics in the stale air box and got a pretty good clean rate. I was about 96% clean rate on agar in the stale air box. But I was working for multi-spore not isolated, never been taken through failure or clonal generation stuff. Um, and I was struggling. And then I found um, Denver Mycology here locally. And uh, Chris got me some agar plates that were well isolated. And then I grew a few tubs. And like I was not at a good point in my life when I found mycology. It was more like, hey, let's find something to take care of because we don't want to take care of ourselves that much. Mm -hmm. um, and then by the time I had, you know, four cubs spawned, I was expecting, you know, to have a little bit of medicine. And then I had more medicine than I knew what to do with, which luckily in Denver isn't 
a problem you can share with your friends and family and not really worry about it. But it was like, wow, this, this mycology thing makes me feel really fulfilled. Um, and it's challenging and it's difficult and you need to learn and observe and interpret. And like, I have a background in science. I got trained in geology, went to undergrad, went to grad school, went to school for five years and don't use my degree at all, except, you know, maybe substrate formulation, it gets used a little bit nowadays. Um, but it did teach me to think in an, in an interpretive and in an observational way and like, Mycology is just observational science at a macro scale. Like that's, you're reading and responding to things and um, interpreting, you know, inputs and parameters and then changing and how things respond to them. And then you get to modify that. That's the cool part, genetics for me. Like, all right, it did this, it's doing this. Now we can work with it and make it do more of this or less of this or none of that all of that and it's fascinating how quickly mushrooms do it compared to other things i've worked with like cannabis it's like a year years long endeavor to do a pheno hunt properly and in mushrooms you can do four pheno hunts in a year on the same variety massively and that's it's way different and because it's so rapid um, I just dove in head first and the library's at like way too large now. I've got everything in stasis and cryo storage, so I'm not worried about losing it. But um, if I tried to work everything that I have actively, it would just be Monday to Friday transferring plates at this point. So you're in uh, front of a flow head quite a bit. That's what it sounds like. That's probably my favorite place to be other than the, the fresh air, you know, blowing to my face all day. And uh, I agree with you. It is quite a bit of observational science. And um, I also too was in the cannabis industry for quite some time. And I know what you mean, like from seed to like cutting to, you know, oh man, like, yeah, it's, it's a very like rigorous pro uh, project. And a lot of the time you just don't get what you want, but it's early on, it's easy to see what you're getting in breeding projects with, um, with mushrooms in particular. So how did your, your skill set go from, you know, multi-spore to now you're doing all these breeding projects and what has been some of your, your biggest growth hurdles that you went through? I'm sure you've maybe tried a couple different methods and I mean, probably so had like, a lot of successes, but. Equipment's always going to be a hurdle in this space. Like as soon as you get a flow hood, you upgrade your capacity to do work tremendously, or even yeah. an FFU versus a, a laminar flow hood. And like, mm -hmm. I actually prefer FFUs over laminar flow hoods because Same. cost wise, it's a lot easier to run a bunch of FFUs with pre-filters than it is laminar mm -hmm. flow hoods. But, um, equipment is a hurdle for sure. Um, I've definitely seen upgrades in our capacity to do genetic development and help other people yeah. make mycology supplies, like getting autoclaves versus pressure cookers, mixing things in a spindle mixer versus using your hands or a rotary till or a cement mixer or whatever your not large enough container to make substrates. Like every time we've gotten a piece of equipment, we've um, leveled up our game. It's the same thing with in genetics, you know, getting better equipment for microscopy, getting better visuals on things, working with labs to actually get good data. 
Um, one of the people that we're working with, Ruben, right now, he has a near-infrared laser that can tell you potency by shooting the laser at dried product. It works with cannabis, it works with mushrooms, it works with narcotics. But the really interesting application for me is from a genetic development standpoint, I can actually go in a canopy and see which mushrooms are stronger and which ones are weaker and establish whether or not that's a valid modality for selection, both filially and clonally. And we can document all of it for pennies because the only consumable is electricity, not standards. You're not destroying the sample. It's not like mass spec or APLC. And that's super exciting. But we didn't even have the model trained up until recently. We've been training the model, so we haven't been able to use it with any confidence up until right now. Um, like that's going to level up the genetics game for us and other people so much. The ability to go into a canopy and be like, that fruit's that one, that fruit's that one, that, one, that one's that one. You can see variability. You can see phenotypic expression if you're getting variability in alkaloid profiles as a result of that. And there's a few techniques that we've all been employing for a long time, obviously, to increase or decrease potency that we can actually verify, because otherwise it would have been tens of thousands of dollars on mass spec and HPLC to do the same, same type of testing. Um, and then the other thing I would say that has really um, like leveled up the game is interacting and collaborating with other people. Like I wouldn't be where I'm at today without having a team to bounce off of and rely on. And sometimes I carry them and sometimes they carry me. Like that's the whole point of the team. But also this mycology community is a beautiful and amazing thing. You know, you're going to have gatekeepers, you're going to have businesses, even ourselves. We can't share absolutely all the information that we would love to share because like my substrate pays my mortgage. So it's sure. not going to tell you what's in it. doesn't make much sense to do that. Um, I can tell you what's in it, but I can't tell you exactly how I make it and all of the components and the percentages because that just, it doesn't make sense at this point. That being said, we try to be as open as possible and we get that in return from our community. And it's been beautiful. Like things that I've struggled with, it's like, all right, I don't have a lot of things that have gravitational spore drop because I work things clonally to have less spores because I want people growing them not to have a health issue if they had a busy day at work and they come in and, you know, no chance of spore lung because you didn't get to your Cascadian teachers in time. No chance of spore lung on your stargazer. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, like, yes, it makes the mushrooms look better. Like people like bag appeal on any product, whether it's a gourmet or a medicinal mushroom, but, um, the health component, like why would I make spore syringes? I'm just going to have employees that get asthma. from. Why would I make tons of prints? Like it's cool. And that's a valid thing. And like, there are people in our community who are going to provide that service and they've probably put safeguards in place to make that activity safer. I'm not set up for that. And I don't plan to be set up for that because I don't know, spores, I'm not a big fan of spores other than doing breeding and genetic work with them because they're just, they're kind of like dust that gets in places it shouldn't get and then it can cause health issues for people. But I'm rambling and the thing that has helped us the most um, I would say to make leaps is interacting with other people, like, um, certain genetic techniques I've picked up from other people in the community. Shout out to, uh, old dirty Julian. He's the guy who isolated old dirty penis envy doing single spore isolations. 
And he took a process that took me, you know, 15 minutes to an hour every time and made it a 30 second thing. And it's like, all right, now I can do a lot more work. Things like that change the game. And like, I don't think that there's anything that we're doing that's necessarily different or revolutionary on top of what other people are doing. We're just doing a lot of it and we get to choose the best things and then continue to run and preserve those things. And then if I can't make it better, I still have it preserved in the state where it's like popping up. Phenomenal. So you're doing a lot of genetic work. I'm interested. Um, this could go so many ways. And by the way, there's no such thing as rambling. You're on a podcast, dude. You can let it all out, man. That's what we're, that's what, that's why I have you here today. I, I ramble quite a bit too. So a team I think is definitely important. Uh, I agree with you there. As far as a team, were there any like specific hurdles you guys had when you guys were uh, creating your, your systems, your SOPs, or was there enough like background to kind of make a blueprint and you kind of are filling it in as you learn? The challenge we've had is the challenge that anybody in mycology is going to have. It's the same challenge you'll have in cannabis. Um, you're on a living thing schedule and like you can try to bend that thing to your schedule if you would like. But you're not making bags that day if the grain isn't colonized. Yeah. So to constrain variables like that is probably the most difficult thing. And it's like something that we'll continue to battle with and always continue to battle with because mycology has variables. You know, if it's 54 degrees outside versus 94 degrees outside, that changes how things operate inside because HVAC isn't perfect. Um, and you're always adjusting to those things. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that like our biggest challenges in mycology are probably everybody else's biggest challenges. It's like, how do you work with banks? How do you advertise? How do you expand your footprint on social media and share the work that you're doing without violating community guidelines? Because we'd like to walk the community guidelines, you know, as close to, you know, I'd like to adhere to them as much as possible. Um, and Micropreneur is a good example of somebody who tried to walk the line and got too close to it. Now he's back at like 900 followers on Instagram from a huge following because it's not clear who, who it's okay for to step over the line and not step over the line because some people in the space, um, without naming any names, can put a lot of chocolate bars on Instagram and things like that. And it's not a problem. And I've lost like thousands of followers due to posting a picture of a sporeless oyster that got caught up in the algorithm. So that's probably the most frustrating thing that we've had to deal with is like social media, marketing, banking, you know, how to, how to behave as a normal business in a medium that doesn't really like want to advertise with those type of businesses. Cannabis businesses have had this problem in Colorado and it's been legal for 11 going on 12 years now. Um, it's, it's an interesting space to be in, but in terms of like, um, team members meshing people being willing to, uh, you know, put in long hours that mycology demands people having the interest level, um, to, try new things, fail and start new projects, that hasn't been an issue at all. And I think that it's kind of similar to the beginning of the cannabis phase where 
it's the wild west. Everybody's really excited to go pick up a shovel and start digging. Um, we just don't know where, where we're digging yet. I uh, agree with you on the hurdles. I've run into many myself and actually just had the micropreneur on the podcast and hooked him up with someone who got my page back. All of my pages have been taken down two and or three times. So now I don't even post pictures of any kind of fruit. It doesn't matter if it's lion's mane, um, a new cross I did. It doesn't matter. I just sheer away from it and try to just be a presence. And that's kind of why I'm here now having this conversation with you because I think you said prior to us starting that having these conversations helps kind of push the needle forward and creates some normality. And um, I think within normalities and kind of making it something that's mainstream testing is definitely a big part of that because you have to have some kind of measurable number. You're, you're knowing what's in product. Um, of course, everyone's biology is different, but how, how important is in your research is testing and what kind of, I'm actually also interested in what kind of numbers are you shooting for and, or what kind of profiles are you most interested in? And what is your research looking like in that field right now? That's a great question. And I wish I had more data. Like we probably have more HPLC data than just about anybody. We have a mm. couple hundred tests that we've put in now, but like that's, that's expensive. Um, yeah. And now that we've been working with Ruben and um, we've worked with Triptomics, um, Magic Myco and Altitude now, in terms of labs, we've talked to a few others like Rose City, Trip Labs. Um, it's just been easy to work with these guys because two of them are local and the other one, like Brian's known him for a while now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, all right, let's do some work together. And Doma actually trained the NIR using his HPLC and now Triptomics is doing cross-validation on that. But we... Um, ran a bunch of samples through it this week and it's within like plus or minus 5% of HPLC and it's an instant read and it doesn't destroy the sample. Wow. So Amazing. I'm going to have hundreds of tests yeah. like a month going forward. And I'm very excited about that because from a testing modality standpoint, um, everything that we try to release from a genetic standpoint, we try to get tested at least a couple times to be like, is the alkaloid profile stable? Is it, you know, within plus or minus 15% batch to batch kind of thing? Because I don't want to be like, hey, this enigma is 1.3%. And then you get it and it's 0.47, weaker than teachers. Like you should be getting kind of what you're expecting um, with us every time. And that's part of the reason we do the testing. Um, but now that testing has gone from a cost of you know, 50 to $100 a test, depending on what we're looking at, to pennies. And then if we want to look deeper, then we chuck some more money at it. It's, um, it's a huge game changer. And I'm so excited to shoot lasers at fruits this next year. <laughs> I can't even... I that line right see. there. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's funny because we sit we sit down with people um, and Ruben's in town. He's visiting from Spain um, right now. Uh, my partner knows a lot of people in international markets, which makes it real nice because like in Argentina, they have to make all their own stuff. So like we know some people down there and some of the most incredible engineers and scientists I've ever met because they're like, you know that trash can on the ground, that roller you have under that trash can? If I want that back home, I have to make it. Like, what? 
HPLC can't import it, have to make it. Crazy too. Wow. Um, so Ruben is in his network and basically like he undersells them every time we sit down with people and like, well, what do you do? He's like, oh, he has a machine that can test potency. I'm like, no, 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 no. This guy's a wizard who has a laser that he can shoot at drugs and tell you how strong they are. He can even tell you how many terpenes are in your 710. Because wow. we did it last night. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> and that application is going to level up our ability to do breeding projects, um, selection, isolation, see if a phenotype is even worth running. Like it would suck to run Koisamoy and get the peyote morphology, but you just isolated, uh, you know, 0. 0.2, 0.4% fruit. It's sure. tragic, honestly. So we can avoid doing extra work um, and also diversify and continue to train that device so that it can get even more sophisticated. Like things like baocystin that don't occur in high amounts, like it can give you the total miners, but it's going to be hard to give you the exact peak for something that's, you know, 0.05% of the total mass. But if we do that 10,000 times, we might get there. And that's really exciting too, because this application isn't something that we can only use for psilocybin mushrooms. We can potentially use it for other medicinal components and things like lion's mane, which is a pain in the butt test right now. Cool. So you might be able to expand this to other uh, types of mushrooms as well. That's that's really interesting. So where to where to go from there? Oh, I I really want to speak on. So of course, there's probably more testing, um, I you know questions I could ask you, but I'm really interested in letting everybody know kind of what Prop 122 is all about and some of your restrictions you have and and like how have they laid it out for you? You know, like that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, so Prop 122 is something that kind of expands on something that was already present here in Denver, and that was decriminalization. Um, of psilocybin mushrooms. So possessing them was decriminalized decriminalized in Denver County and growing them was decriminalized in Denver County. I could be wrong here, but I think that was 2019 or 2021. I believe it was an odd year. Um, but we've had the ability to research and be open and kind of develop this community for a couple years now. Like the Haife event that I went to when I was first starting out, it was like, whoa, we're all in a room and we can talk about this and be open about it. Cause like we're sure. not actually breaking the law. Yeah. That's crazy. And now that's a statewide thing after Prop 122, but there are some restrictions in place. Um, you can only grow at home right now, unless you have a licensed cultivation center and they don't exist yet. Um, and we can't apply for one until the earliest January of next, no, not January of next year. It's going to be like December of next year, January, 2025 now at this point, it's kind of moving down the road for when we can actually apply to get a cultivation center, but growing at home, uh, is fine in every County in Colorado, um, up to 144 square feet. You can grow entheogenic substances, um, that are under the Natural Medicine Health Act. So that includes psilocybin mushrooms, mescaline-containing um, cacti, other than peyote, because it's a protected species, and the iboga plant. The iboga plant cannot be gifted or shared, but mescaline and psilocybin can be gifted or shared, not for monetary compensation, 
However, if you're providing bona fide harm reduction or care services um, under Prop 122, you can charge for services surrounding the administration or use of psychedelic mushrooms. So that would be like a therapist can charge for an integration coaching session. Um, you, what you couldn't do is be like, buy an eighth from your therapist. That's not how it works and that's not how it's intended to work. Um, there will always be actors in markets like this who try to find workarounds, um, but we try to follow everything as much to the T as possible, um, simply because, you know, we've built something where we want people to take it seriously and it's hard for people to take it seriously if you're a trap lord on the side. Um, nothing wrong with that potentially, but it's not our goal. Um, and that's kind of what Prop 122 with the whole 144 square foot thing, they try to avoid. Um, but like, those are, a lot, you can grow a lot of cactus and mushrooms in 144 square feet. So like we yeah. have some very liberal um, guidelines to follow here. And that does allow us to do quite a bit of genetic development, but we don't need to go overboard and, you know, fill a whole house. It's what projects are important, what's important to test, what needs to move forward. And the cool thing with building a community here in Colorado is it's like, cool, your customers can help you out. You can make things for them and you can test things with them and do more development. But ideally, you try to do most of your testing at home, get confident, and then you work with people who are close to you in your network to you know, grow your stuff at home and make sure that it works before you put it out into the world. Um, we're very lucky to do that. That's not my expectation for every mycology company or every genetics company or every supply company because like, it's not realistic to say that's the industry standard that you should do. But if you have the opportunity like we do, why not prove everything? Why not test everything? Why not be so confident in everything that you can say money back guarantee on every product with a time frame that you've tested and torture tested? Like we're doing our substrate testing for a year. Nobody is going to buy that thing and have it sit around for a year, but I'm still going to test it for a year mm. because why wouldn't I? Yeah. Research and development. Can you kind of uh, give a scope, a larger scope of the products and services that you guys are providing and some of the things that are most important to you? Because I know it's now where there is like some regulation and guidelines, I'm sure it's still somewhat of like a wild, wild west vibe in a way and everyone's kind of i mean i'm not sure because i'm not there i can't speak to it but i would assume there's a lot of gray area and you're tipping toe in so like what are some of the mo more important things you guys are focusing on and trying to take hold of and be known for so in terms of like the industry as a whole right now there's a lot of people who are in like hurry up and wait phase on the mm -hmm. healing center and the cultivation center model because the state for lack of better phrasing is just kicking the can down the road. Um, and there's pretty good reason for that. DORA, the Department of Regulatory Agencies, is supposed to be who's overseeing it. DORA just gives like therapists their licensure. So if you're like an LPC and you see people in one-on-one -on -one therapy and you get your licensure from the state, that's what DORA does. They're like, all right, let's do a background check. Make sure you went to an event credit institution. Cool, here's your license. 
what they don't know how to do is institute psychedelic healing centers. And I don't think they were ready for Prop 122 to pass. So it sounds like it's going to be more of DORA and CDPHE working together. Um, so we're trying to stay very much on top of the subcommittees, the rulemaking, and you know, decide as a company what our best route forward is in order to either participate, help, facilitate, or you know, lobby in that area if we need to. Um, to say that it's hard to know where we're going is a little bit of an understatement because timeframes have not been closely adhered to. So it's hard for me to feel confident that like come January, 2025, we're going to have this whole thing figured out, but we have Oregon who's operating right now and we've adopted a lot of our structure from them. So we can see what's working and what isn't working in Oregon and make informed data-driven decisions based off of those. But also as a state, we could probably be doing better to get people who are more mycologically educated on those subcommittees because like I've heard, I didn't know there were more than one species that produce psilocybin. Bro, there's like 80 plus. Um, I didn't know you could cultivate more than one magic mushroom. What's Coco Poir? <laughs> like that's a problem. Um, and we need to get more subject matter, matter experts in front of those people, but I don't know the way to do that because a lot of the subject matter experts who really can speak to how this works at scale don't want to get up in front of the state and talk about how growing mushrooms works from a, a safety, efficacy, and logistics standpoint. And I can understand why that's the case, but it's also like, look, we're the second state to have this, and it's a, this legislative wave, if we don't if we don't screw up good things here, this legislative wave is poised to crash over into other states, other countries, potentially the other hemisphere. And like, we could set a good example here in Colorado, but if we just copy Oregon and make it $3,500 an eighth, it's going to be really unfortunate. So under current legislation, are there any new bills or anything or any like annotations they're making to the current guidelines that you're aware of, or are they becoming more strict or more lenient? And what does that look like? I do know that Denver just had a policymaking um, hearing on adjusting and um, kind of responding to how the mushroom scene is developing. Like, let's look at our mushroom guidelines here in Denver County and see if they need to be revised post Prop 122. Um, not too much has come out of that just yet. I don't believe they've um, put in like their final referendum or addendum or whatever it's called. Um, most of these things are more lawyer questions um, because mm. I don't know. There's only a, there's a limit of how much information you can take in in this space, and uh, I try to be on top of the subcommittees. I try to be on top of the dates and all that stuff, but really. I, I want to be in front of the flow hood or staring in a microscope. So it's a little bit of blinders. Um, I do know some legislation has come up recently that allows lawyers to actually charge for and give advice on um, what is legally allowed and what legally isn't allowed under Prop 122. And that's something the state didn't do or allow for when cannabis first got started. So it was like, if you're a cannabis lawyer, you might be sacrificing the bar. Wow. That's not something they need to worry about to work with us now. So I expect there to be some companies coming out with some more mature structures under Prop 122 in the near future because of that. Like, 
now it's not potentially career suicide for a very high paying, very well, well-respected career to hop into this arena. Um, and Colorado's done a good job of that. Prop 122 protects licensed professionals from losing their licensure for participating in the program. So if you're an LPC, you're a nurse practitioner, you're a psychiatrist, psychologist, physician, whatever you may be practicing and participating in the program, you're not going to lose your licensure for doing so. And it explicitly states that. That's pretty cool. Um, but it's hard for us to know what that means because these things won't open for another year and a half, potentially. Um, and I've got some things going on where like, I know medical professionals who are leaving the medical field and like, wow, this is a really high paying job being an NP and inpatient mental health, but like I'm losing my mind and people are getting charged three grand a day to be on an M1 hold on Medicare. What are we doing? And they're looking to get into the psychedelic practitioner field, but they need more guidelines and the state isn't going that fast. So it's great that lawyers can now talk to them in the in-between, you know, 14 months before we get guidelines so they can potentially start to help people and get ahead of that. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing stopping somebody under Prop 122, helping somebody right now if they're a licensed medical professional, um, other than their confidence in operating in a way that protects them from liability. And that's really cool. That means that there will be alternatives to the $3,500. Not that like having a professional clinic with medical professionals to administer and integrate medicine isn't amazing. It's just not cost-effective. Self-administration is much more cost-effective for psychedelic integration than sitting there with somebody who went to an event-credited institution and needs to go get letters from Dora. Like it doesn't make sense at scale. There are certain patient populations who are going to need that specifically, but not everybody. And you're really hamstringing and limiting who you can help if, you know, everybody's got to pay a bunch of highly qualified individuals to watch them for 30 minutes after they take their microdose. Wow. Does it make sense? $3,500 for an eighth is quite the barrier of entry for most. And I would say most cannot afford that. I can't afford that, but yet I'm not interested in that. So it's really like, I guess, I guess you could say it's empowering the home grower and also empowering um, places like yourself to provide products so that everybody can take that into their own hands. So something we spoke yeah, about, Oh, go ahead. Please. Medical professionals too. So like one thing that yeah. we'd like to expand our network on and be helpful for is therapists and practitioners who would like to administer this medicine, but they don't want to go purchase it. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, I'll get you grain bags and substrate bags and you can do some work or you can sign a care contract where we're providing services for you, making your colonized fruiting bags for you. And all you need to do is harvest and dry them. You have fresh medicine for your patients and we can even test it with the NIR if you need potency data. Amazing. So it sounds like you have plenty of outlets. At least there's something there. Something that we spoke of briefly before we began was about how, I guess, modern misconceptions of, of mushrooms, because at the end of the day, what's happening is whether you guys are developing products, people are growing them at home, there is some level of consumption and it kind of comes down to the consumption and what's happening during that. Of course, there's regulation, 
But realistically, there's healing happening and people expanding their consciousness, their awareness, and becoming aware of a product that I think for a long time has had a lot of negative connotations. Can you kind of speak to some of the more common negative connotations that you've heard of or you hear or that some of the things that are getting broken down? And I would imagine- Before I get into that, I think it's more important to address like how I view psilocybin, LSD, MDMA, these other compounds, how they interact with our brain and how they work from a medicinal standpoint. So when people talk about psilocybin, um, a lot of people will refer to it as like a key to the mystical, um, something that opens a space into your mind, something that will penetrate deep into your consciousness, um, something magical, galactic, something like that. And there's nothing wrong with that interpretation because the experience obviously can be interpreted that way. But when you think about what's actually happening physiologically, when you take psilocybin, it's it's something that's fitting into your serotonin binding receptor channel. Mm -hmm. It has a shape where it fits into your serotonin channel, just like LSD does, just like MDMA does. The one that I'm intimately familiar with is psilocybin though. Um, It's a serotonoid. And then when it, hits your serotonin channel, it's going to enhance amygdalitic access. So the amygdala is the speech processing center of our brain, our emotional processing center, and it's where we store a lot of our memories. Um, That, just unpack that statement for a second. Mm -hmm. You get enhanced access to a portion of your brain. Your processing speed goes up and your ability to access um, events, circumstances that you may not have remembered and memories goes uh, markedly up. That can be really fun. That can be really fun. Or that can be really scary. Agreed. Um, And for some people, I think that the best way to approach these psychedelics isn't as a party drug. Treat it as a supplement that's interacting with your serotonin and binding receptor channel and see how that affects you. Yeah. Uh, I'd much rather somebody take 8 to 12 micrograms of LSD for their first time than 120, which is like the standard. Or try a third of a gram of mushrooms versus 3.5 grams of mushrooms. Yeah. And the reason for that is because we approach these things as a drug right now as an intoxicant, a psychedelic intoxicant that can be a good time. And like, that's not always wrong, but it's a serotonoid that enhances amygdalitic access. And that's something that can be scary or fun or helpful or hurtful or healing. And you need to contextualize that and understand that before you get into it. And also accept that there are certain common risk factors that shouldn't be perturbed when you do that. It's like, if you're schizoaffective type one, or type two, you have borderline personality or histrionic personality disorder. Psychedelics are probably not the drug for you. They're probably not going to induce the healing effect that you're looking for because they're enhancing amygdalitic access and in your condition, not a good thing. Most of the time. It's not to say that a schizophrenic can't have a good time on psychedelics. I highly don't recommend it. Right. Yeah, the same can be said for cannabis and and or caffeine or you know many of these different substances, but particularly with psilocybin, I've been speaking a lot about how it is a great tool, but it is not the cure. 
and there's not one cure and everybody's different and every body is different. Everyone's metabolism's different. Everyone's psyche is different. And I'm really happy that you have that viewpoint and you're able to like articulate that. I think it's very important. Are there any like movements or companies that are tracking advertising and kind of showcasing the data from anecdotal, like therapeutic um, perspectives and kind of giving like these, you know, legislative, you know, movements, a different perspective or any kind of like push or anything like that? So it's hard to take most of them seriously because they don't have a large enough body of work where you're compelled to you know, fund their effort or take their data. They're, you know, Maps is the only one that I can really think of where they have a large enough microphone, a large enough audience and enough credibility where if they say something, it makes a big difference. There are people who are going through and creating forums for trip reports and things like that. And the idea with that is to build a community that's so large that the body of evidence is undeniable. Um, I'm not intimately familiar with um, any of those efforts, but I've seen a few of them at MAPS. I talked to a gentleman who was doing something similar at SciCon. Um, somebody mentioned it when I was down at um, Canadelic. Somebody was talking about doing something similar. So like there are efforts in the community. I am not personally aware of one that's like got big and is well organized, but if you find them, let me know because the best thing that we can leverage as a psychedelic community right now is our size as independent operators. Like we're doing a lot of research, but we're not organized enough in a consortium to utilize that research effectively to make effective change from a policy and a research standpoint, because we can't publish Jack because we don't want to get in trouble. And that's why it's really cool to be able to do the work here and you know, work with upstanding companies and be out in the open and be like, Hey, who wants to get on the ship and help us and expand the reach because Nobody else can really do that right now. And it's kind of sad. Like, I know people with billions of dollars in research funds, but they work for an abet-credited institution in California, so it's hard to work with them. Because, like, it's hard to say no to that NSF money. You're saying goodbye to all your government money if you're working with a Schedule One narcotic and the DEA isn't cool with it. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. So... Are you required to report your research to any uh, certain sector of, no, it's so a lot of it is on your own accord and you're doing it for your own personal everything development? At the, to this point, everything has been self-funded. We are talking with other groups, um, namely Triptomics right now, about maybe going and chasing after some grants because we feel like together um, their expertise on the testing side, our expertise on the genetic and the cultivation R&D side, we can combine those and publish a ton of papers, especially with this near technology where yep. we can shoot a laser and get potency analysis. Yeah. Um, we're just so busy right now that we have to share that. Like the, somebody's got to be eating that portion of the place. Somebody needs to eat this portion of the place. Somebody else is probably going to be writing it simply because most of the research that we've done to this point is just to make make sure that our processes and our products are sound. And now that we know that they are sound and people are handing us medals and we're winning psychedelic cups and 
people are justifying my poor work-life balance for my poor wife. Um, we have to bring other yeah. people in to you know, start to share and publish our research, but I won't lie, like in grad school and undergrad, the biggest fight advisors always had with me is like, why don't you publish more? Like, I don't care. I'm just trying to find things out. I just want to learn things. I don't really yeah. care to share with the rest of the class. But this is so important and so impactful and so helpful to so many people. It's like, all right, time to start writing some manuscripts, time to yeah. start publishing, um, time to start open sourcing certain things because they're important. Like I have a lot of things that I want to work on. If somebody here, if anybody listening um, knows somebody that wants to no, either has the funds and wants to work on mushroom batteries or knows a uh, electronic engineer who focuses in battery technologies. Uh, University of Maryland made a battery using crab shells, the chitin from crab shells. And I'm like, oh, you know what has a lot of chitin? Mushrooms. Mushrooms. Perfect. Why aren't we working on that? Why is nobody funding this? Um, and I don't have a large enough microphone to go money, please, just yet. But by working with other groups of people like Triptomics, working with universities, working with other companies in the space and shooting a bunch of lasers at things, we can get this taken a lot more seriously. And it's not going to cost a ton of dollars. It's going to just cost human capital, time, collaboration, interpretation. And then somebody, I mean, I'll do it, but I don't have the time. Like, I think it's bullcrap. Humans need to sleep. Like True. eight hours of nothing, man. I want to do stuff. Yeah. Um, if I didn't need to sleep, I would be the one who is, uh, you know, running around with the megaphone yelling in everybody's ears how important this is and why we need to work on this. But you got to pick and choose your battles. And right now, my battle's in front of the flow hood because I can't get my eyes out of the microscope because breeding is so fun right now. Um, especially when I can test everything that I breathe. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about some of your work and kind of shift into the medals and the competitions and what that's looked like for you. You go to your guys' page and you see the gold. Uh, let's talk about that for a sec. So um, we've entered a few competitions now. Didn't really expect to do well, um, but we got. We did expect to win the biggest mushroom. I will say that because we had a thousand sixty-two gram Melbeck, and I know that albino mystery that was like twelve hundred grams. The only thing I've ever seen that beat it. That was at a different state, so that was making it to the competition. Wow! But um, we got first place for overall alkaloid content in the Denver Psychedelic Cup. Um, I think they called that potency. Um, it was like if you add together all of the active compounds together, we had the highest total. And then we got second for psilocybin, and that was a toke F8 blob. Um, toke was a variety that was isolated from tidal wave by Tim Pig, um, and it had a tendency around like F6 through 8 to start blobbing out for some people. Um, and mm -hmm. Tim had actually gotten blobs as early as like F2, F3, but the F8 blobs... Um, we got gifted a plate of Toke F8. I was expecting the weird looking flower fruits from Toke. And um, the guy who handles our cultivation side of R&D, he hit me up and was like, hey, none of these Tokes are fruiting right. They're all blobs. I'm like, but do they look like spicy blobs? He's like, dude, they look scary. 
Um, so we went and we got them tested with Tritomics and it came at 2.54% psilocybin. And we were like, oh, that's almost twice as strong as Enigma. Um, that's crazy. <laughs> and then um, we submitted one of those samples to the psilocybin cup and we weren't expecting much. And then when they were like, oh yeah, all of the winners tested like well over 2%. Um, the guy who actually got first place, who gifted us the plate of Toke F8, uh, Kyle from Blueberry Mycology, he was like, yeah, I, I definitely didn't win anything. And then he was the only person who beat us on psilocybin with his bear snacks, which was just like straight psilocybin, 2.5% like psilocybin blocked. Um, but yeah, we got a lot better results on that than we were expecting. And then my friend Alex actually gifted him a plate of uh, TTBVI that I was working that we got from Magic Myco when Ryan was up in New York doing the work with him. Mm. Um, we got some TTBVI from him. I worked that a little bit. I was just trying to get it more CO2 tolerant, like bags a little bit more. I gave it to my friend Alex to play with. He got first place for potency, second place for psilocybin, and then like first were overall alkaline content. And then the one that he was the happiest about though was a gold for lowest psilocybin. So that's pretty funny. It's like Tiger Woods fist pumping to the stage for <laughs> lowest psilocybin on exotics. And everybody's like, what? There's an award for that? And he's like, I tried to get this. I dried that thing way too long. Yes. <laughs> but um that was actually the biggest psychedelic competition that's ever been held, and that was local here um so it was pretty much legal like i think there might have been some samples that got mailed in from out of state and then dropped off in person but like everything was done pretty much above board we had a local testing company test everything everybody all came out i didn't even go to the show i was here working in the lab that night i was like ah we'll get biggest mushroom i'm just gonna hang out here. Ryan, you go to the thing, tell us how we did. He's like, oh, we did pretty good. And like four hours later, he shows up, got three medals on. I'm like, oh, we did pretty good. Wow. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, I'd say so. And part of that was just like, we did the testing. We knew we had a really spicy blob to send in, but also some of it is just luck. Like hmm. we always say it's probably 33% genetics, 33% environment and inputs and 33% picking the right fruit. And then like 1% luck somewhere in there for gotcha. sure. Because I mean, there's a lot of incredible growers that um, submitted to that competition and to come out on top wasn't the goal, but we're definitely not mad about it. Um, kind of an odd feeling. I don't really deal well with that kind of attention. It's mm -hmm. been real awkward. All the people that want to take you out to lunch and stuff, but um, we're, we're rolling with it. It's definitely a fun feeling. I'm going to hold on to it as long as I can. Cause like, I don't know, pride and accomplishments is not something I feel a whole lot of, but after we've spent the amount of time we've spent building this in the past year and a half, I was jumping up and down in my living room after I found out how well we did because it's, it's very validating, but also my poor wife, <laughs> I already worked uh -huh. enough, <laughs> but it's like, it's, I love what I do so much that 
you know, a 70, 80 hour week isn't a weird thing for me. And it's not like I need to be working that. It's I want to be working that, moving things forward, doing cool things, forming new relationships. And there's some business stuff that sucks, like e-commerce and emails and all the spreadsheets that I've got to manage these days. But that's just part of being an adult. Not every bit of your dream job is going to be dreamy. But I get to sit in front of the Flova the majority of my time and talk about mushrooms for most of my days. It's uh, it's not a bad life. Just got to learn how to balance a little bit better. But I'm finding that to be a common theme in the mushroom industry. The people who are really good at taking care of their fruits and their grow don't take the best care of themselves. I'd like to break that chain, but I'm firmly in it right now. That's a good pivot right there. I commonly ask folks, especially who have a pretty large workflow um, and have a lot on their plate, how do you personally manage your time? Uh, I mean, the whole work-life balance thing, I'm not quite sure I I believe that term, but I do find there is a personal balance to keep yourself at a higher like rate of recovery or just like mental stability to be able to tackle work and life. So what are you doing to take care of yourself? So admittedly, I don't do a great job. Like organization, timeline, schedule aren't my strong suits. Like I'm not a neurotypical individual. Um, The ADHD definitely comes out when you tell me to organize a large, um, you know, temporal component for other people. Mm -hmm. For me, um, being borderline obsessed with mycology, it's real easy to sit down and transfer plates for 15 hours. But there are consequences to transferring plates for 15 hours and not taking yeah. a break to eat because you forgot. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, I have some wonderful partners who are like, dude, if you want to just like go leave for two weeks, throw everything in the fridge and I got you. Um, I don't want to do that. Though. I want to be at work. I want to. Um, yeah, I hear that. Yeah, I, I want to to be here doing things, but at the end of the day, um, having a schedule, growing a company, and maintaining that schedule, it's like pick two. <laughs> so we've definitely um, experienced some growing pains in terms of trying to figure out the work life balance. Like, when is it good to take time off? Where when should we push in a certain direction? Is it worth doing all this work? Um, and some of those questions just get answered with time. Like Mm -hmm. you do your first three markets and you're like, wow, I made way too many IR plates. You Mm -hmm. don't need 15 of every variety. You need five. And if they want more and you sold out, then we'll get it on your website later. Like Mm -hmm. don't need to work as hard. Um, building out a team is definitely the best thing that's happened for all of us in terms of work-life balance. Like I've got a partner who's going to go visit his family in a couple of weeks and that wouldn't be possible without teammates and employees and partners and friends who are all willing to you know pitch in and make the picture whole when a puzzle piece is missing maybe that means a piece is stretched and looking funny for a couple of days but um we do a good job as a team of taking care of each other um i think that that's probably the most important thing to do in mycology to avoid burnout because if you try to do everything on your own i that's how i started mycology so that's that's actually a good good story to get into 
Right. Um, when I started Full Canopy um, with Santi, it was originally just going to be me and him running Full Canopy, and um, Ryan would help with like R and D and stuff. I wanted him to have part of the company because the dude just works so hard. But like we were putting up all the money. Um, but prior to that, I was just doing everything on my own. I was making my own agar, making my own LC, making my crane, making my sub, doing all of my grow, doing all of my own genetic isolation at that point, other than getting stock outside of it to do testing and then my own isolation. Um, doing my own branding, marketing, products. And like, I hit a wall and my appendix went, no. And this was like right when we started the company. And it was like, all right, I can't lift more than 15 pounds for two weeks. And we need to build out a mycology supplies pipeline. <laughs> so it's like, from the beginning, I've had partners who are able to like shoulder some of the load when somebody else can't carry as much. And that makes you a lot more willing to be like, yeah, just give me 30 more pounds. I'll carry it to you back. Not a problem. But like, it's impossible to do that if it's just you or it's just you and your family. Um, it, it would be almost soul crushing if I was just like, hey, let's go do this on our own. And some, something hits the wall or you get sick or, you know, you bust your hand or you bust your foot. And now you can't do things efficiently anymore. It's like, it's over. No more business. Mm -hmm. Um and I see that in mycology where it's like some of these people who are killing it, but they're doing it as a one man show. They're running 50 miles an hour towards a brick wall yep. and like more power to you. If you can do that and you can bust through that wall and come out the other side, not broken, but like, that's usually not the case. And I don't know, like, if you're not doing good and everybody else can carry you for one lap, it's a lot easier to get your breath back and run again. And it's tough to take care of yourself in mycology, especially right now when we're in a recession, it's a downturn. A lot of people are experiencing less purchases of genetics, products, supplies, consumables, whatever it may be. Like we're all feeling it right now. And if you aren't taking care of yourself and you don't have other people to help you take care of yourself, that nine to five sounds pretty good again at that mm -hmm. point. But I don't know. It doesn't feel like I'm ever going to need to have like a real job ever again. I turned my hobby into a more than full-time obsession and it's still fun. It doesn't feel like work unless I'm staring at a spreadsheet or updating like a shipping form. And right. I've got tools for that. It's getting easier. But yeah, there's definitely risks when it comes to turning your passion into your you know, livelihood. And that's burnout. And I'm not going to say that I do always do my best of avoiding it. But um, if you don't have other people that you can be like, hey, I'm burning out. I need help it's really hard to continue running at full capacity at that point. Wow. I mean, I'm blown away. I could, I could sit here and listen to you forever, Kyle. Um, it sounds like you have a great team. You're obsessed with what you do. You'll love what you do. I guess 
I have a few more questions for you. Particularly, I'd like to ask you, where do you see the industry going from where you're at, your perspective? And this could be a generalization of the entire market market in its entirety or just you know in your local market. What does that look like in the next three, five, maybe 10 years? I think if we don't mess up a good thing, we have an opportunity here in Oregon and Colorado to show that psychedelics can be distributed in a legal framework and help people. It's not the most effective, cost-effective, or you know, like financially viable model right now. But if we can prove that that's helpful to people, um, they have to take this more seriously. You know, we need less pilots trying to crash planes the day after dosing and that yeah. being the headline and more um, feel-good stories and understanding amongst the public of how these things work. So the future is highly contingent upon societal perception of the drug itself and also what does Uncle Jeff at the DEA want to do with scheduling? Because it's undeniable at this point that it has medical benefits. And the, the mm-hmm. definition of a Schedule I narcotic is that it does not have medical benefits. So if you have two states of medical programs and they're benefiting people and not harming people, you, you can show absence of harm and proof of health. It's pretty undeniable that they need to be rescheduled at that point. And that's what's going to be the rocket that just ignites psychedelic development. Point. Because then an abet-credited institution can work with a Schedule 3 or a Schedule 4 narcotic much easier than they can a Schedule 1. They're not asking for special permissions. They're just letting you know they're working at that point. Um, in terms of like the mycology industry, I imagine we're going to see a lot of what happened in cannabis and hemp. Um, a lot of the same players are trying to get into the industry. We're going to see an initial cottage industry phase where a lot of companies pop up. There's some margins. There's some high value items. We're going to see, you know, Lion's main products and things like that going for high prices for a while. And then we're going to have people getting into the raw material market to try to supply them. But because the barrier for entry in there isn't the highest, um, you're going to have a lot of people trying to operate similar to hemp. But really only the most efficient lean operators are going to be able to sell through their, you know, have enough velocity in their product line to justify the footprint. And then we're going to have an oversupply of raw material. And when it comes to um, supplements, that's a great thing. Um, That means that supplement companies that have their stuff together and are actually making good products will have more margins to work with. They can get them into more hands um, and help more people. But when it comes to psilocybin and the medicine itself, it's a double-edged sword because some people obviously, you know, depend on this for some of their income. And it's like, there's probably not going to be a lot of income in growing the mushrooms. It's going to be in making products going forward because the products maintain their value during a downturn phase, whereas the input doesn't. And like, that doesn't, that's not exclusive to psychedelics at all. You know, we saw that in cannabis, we saw it in hemp, we saw it in CBD, we see it in the food market, we see it with raw materials and supplies. Um, it's almost too easy to grow mushrooms. And that's a good problem, in my opinion. It's maybe not the best problem for me as somebody who wants you to buy more mushroom supplies and more genetics. But if that's the biggest problem there is with mushrooms is that there's so many of them that they're cheap. 
I think that that's a better thing for society and people and healing and having access and destigmatizing these things. Does that mean that it's good for people who want to make a living in psychedelics? Probably not. But the direction that we're going is we see it in Oregon. Like they finished growing enough mushrooms for the whole clinic for the whole year in like March. It's hard to see patients. That's the hardest part right now of the healing center model. It's not to grow the medicine. It's not to do the genetics. It's not to do the testing. It's not to do any of that. It's administering the medicine fast enough that you can go through what you grow. And with the healing center model where it's administered by medical professionals, I just, I can't see it getting to a place where it's affordable for the people who need it the most. Cause like, if we're talking about society, people who need psilocybin the most, it's poor people. Like being poor is a traumatic experience in this yeah. country. Like, yeah, I agree. And some people might not agree with that, but insecurity, especially financial and food insecurity are not things that are good for the human condition and we have this thing that can help people and it's dirt cheap to produce and we got to find a way to get it into people's hands at a reasonable cost because you're going to help so many more people if it's you know talk to a medical professional for 30 minutes get screened and then you can grab a couple months worth of medicine type thing and we saw that in ketamine Ketamine was the same way. You had to go get your infusion on site, be monitored, no adverse reactions. Now it's a screening process and an at-home administration kit. We could see something similar in psychedelics, and I hope we see something similar in psychedelics. Um, my biggest hope is just that our government, our federal government, recognizes like we need this to help people right now, and we should be funding this. And if that happens, dude, I can't even imagine where this industry is going to be 10 years from now. Wow. That's amazing foresight. And I hope for a lot of the similar things. I can see a bit into that as well. I'm doing my part to, you know, spread the conversation, bring some information. Um, man, you've been such a, a pleasant person to have on the, the show. You're really well-spoken. You're really knowledgeable. I'm very interested in knowing what are some of the core tenets of your life that you bring just to life in general, but some of the things that kind of show up in your work, in your workspace because of um, the mindset you have? Well, like one thing I know for sure is like, I'm alive. I've got this, this lifetime. Like I get to get to live this experience. So um, like, this is the only thing that's like guaranteed to me that I know. I don't know what's coming after this life. I don't know if there's anything before this life. I don't know if there's a next life. So in terms of living, um, You've got one life, and if you spend that life not enjoying what you do, it's hard to enjoy that life. And, like, I've had careers, I've had multiple careers now at this point. I've worked in oil and gas, I've been a petrophysicist, I've gotten paid way too much money to contribute to the problem. And now I get to help solve a problem, and I get to wake up every day and contribute to a solution rather than a problem. And I make a lot less money, but I'm a lot happier doing that. And other people see that and they want to work with that. They're like, wow, that seems like a fulfilling way to live. 
and the person that I was two years ago versus the person that I am now, um, it's night and day. Like you wouldn't even know that I was the same person. And I credit a lot of that, you know, to going through the psychedelic experiences, having experiences with psilocybin. But at the end of the day, the thing that's changed me is I get to help people and I get to live a purpose-driven life. And that purpose is working on my thing, which is mycological genetics. And the result is that people get helped. And I get to directly hear that, indirectly see that, and feel that in other communities that I interact with and support. And it's like such a beautiful thing. Um, so if you live your life and you're not happy, find what makes you happy and do more of that. I found that helping people was the part of my job that I actually got satisfaction in, in every step of my career whether that was being a scientist, being a salesperson, training to be a physical therapist, and then realizing digging a $100,000 hole to not get paid enough to help people, unfortunately, with that many student loans. Um, it was helping people every step of the way where it was like, that's what I like. Um, it's undeniable that you can help people by doing mycology. And mm -hmm. I've grown lion's mane for people. I've given away cubes to people that like it's changed their life and if i can inspire somebody else to pick up a sports syringe or a liquid culture or an agar plate or a fruiting bag and begin their journey like that makes me super happy to be able to have that impact and that influence and like i don't think i'm ever gonna be the richest guy in the mycology space but it you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that enjoys their job and gets as much satisfaction out of the result than I do. Not, and that's not to say that like, I like my job more than anybody else. I'm better, but I've lived life in a way where it's like, all right, I need to take care of the family. I need to make the money. I'm doing something cool. Like I'm shooting sidewall cores 7,000 feet underground. Like that's undeniably cool. But extracting hydrocarbons from the subsurface versus working on a burgeoning nascent field that um, institutions can't even really touch with a 10-foot pole right now, we're getting a head start. We're willing to share everything that we find out when they can because like, that's what's going to get us I used to say, like, get us to the finish line faster, but it doesn't even feel like a finish line at this point. It's like the checkpoint, the water station. Like, I don't know where we're going, mm. but um, if we all try to contribute to this and we do things that make us happy and in that effort, um, it's pretty, not, pretty hard for the uh, vibes not to be immaculate and for us not to uh, do some really cool things as communities and as individuals. Because, like, I would be nothing in mycology without the rest of the network that I have. Like, if people hadn't been willing to help me out when I was a complete noob coming into this with, you know, a background that was very well suited for it, I wouldn't have been able to just immediately jump off and fly. Kind of fallen face first and been one of those people who's like, yeah, mycology, I tried six times and it was, it's not for me. Right.
Outstanding. Oh my goodness. Okay. We have one lasting question for you. You can answer this short form, long form, however you interpret, interpret as you may ask everybody who comes on the show that I interview. And that is Kyle Obenberger. How are you in everyday life growing in mind, body, spirit, and mushroom? The mushroom's pretty obvious. Um, in terms of mind, the best thing for me is surrounding myself with other people who are doing cool things and love what they do. Um, love being around people who make me feel dumb. Doesn't necessarily happen the most often, but when I find that person, I tend to cling on to them and be like, hey, do that thing where you make me feel dumb because I'm <laughs> learning a whole lot this exposure. Um, in terms of body, I preach this more than I practice it, but you got to take care of yourself to take care of the mycelium. Um, the gym is your friend. Functional fitness is your friend. If your body is breaking down because of the work that you do, you are probably working a little bit too hard and you need to find people to help you and delegate that. And you got to take care of yourself or you will break down because I've tried skipping the gym for a whole month. And by that third week, I'm burning out, losing my mind. I get a lot more plate work done, mm. but in the long term, I get less plate work done when I'm not taking care of myself because I'm going to get sick for a week after I go to Oklahoma. And then, yeah, yeah, it's, it's better to take care of your body now than when your body is telling you to be taken care of. Mm. And in terms of spirit, um, I don't want to say I'm like myopic or closed minded, but I'm definitely not the most spiritual being. So one thing that I have done as I've gotten into the space is you are surrounded by a lot of different mantras and lifestyles and viewpoints and interpretations of, you know, this human experience that we have. And I try to be more open-minded than I have been in the past because it's pretty undeniable that like, I don't have all the information. I don't have all the answers. Um, there are still things out there about this existence that I don't understand and I probably never will. So some of the, the growth to experience is seeing other people who may have that interpretation or that viewpoint that I can't see and being more open to it and integrating that into you know, my, my approach in terms of life, work, fun, recreation, whatever it may be, because if you think you know everything, you probably don't, probably not even close. Um, and it's funny you asked that question because that's, uh, that's one thing that we are pretty, uh, those at one point, one of our company tenants was to help our community grow in mind, body, and spirit um, with the work that we do and the products that we put out. Because if we can improve our local community and as a result, you know, our lives get better for it. Do and mycology. There's a reason why people get enamored with and love this space so much. Yep. How did you get into mycology yourself? It was a sheer motivation to 
cultivate something that I couldn't find personally. Um, I had a very eye-opening, um, conscious expanding experience with LSD, and it really you know sunk me into my awareness and my being, and was like, wow, I really have to try these mushroom things. And even amongst my colleagues in the cannabis industry, I couldn't find anybody who had a a, a plug, a link or product themselves. So being the grower I was, I was like, well, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And went to Sporeworks, got a, um, a spore syringe of some golden teachers and went the brown rice flour method. And, you know, four weeks later I had some, uh, some spores actually germinate. I, I, you know, <laughs> methods were, you know, real old. Um, I spent a lot of time on shroomery and was berated by folks who had been doing it for so long for me, you know, asking very simple questions and, Lo and behold, had my first, um, you know, yeah, mind expanding healing experience. And from there was addicted. So, and, and here I am now spreading the good word and talking with people like yourself, Kyle, um, how can people find you, um, social media platforms, website, things of that nature, how can they get in contact with you and what can they support you in the most? So, um, Instagram for the full canopy stuff, uh, at FC genetics and at full canopy Colorado are going to be the best ones to follow. We don't post a lot of content on there these days because Mark Zuckerberg doesn't really like mushrooms that much yeah. for mm-hmm. some reason. Yeah. Um, LinkedIn and Facebook are more friendly to mushrooms than yeah. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a discord server and a Patreon that's associated with it, um, that we've just launched recently. Um, we have different tiers of membership that give you access to like testing data, text, what we're working on, community announcements. And then if you want to pay a little bit more, you can talk like in our cultivation, in our genetics chat, share projects you're working on. Um, and just like the higher tiers, you're going to get more genetics, more projects, more things to work on on a regular basis. Um, I'm actually launching some stuff uh, at the beginning of the new year in terms of education. Um, the channels will likely be Kyle, the fun guy, um, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. And the reason for that is so that I can share more educational content. Um, but the educational content will probably pertain less to psychedelic mycology simply because, man, that algorithm loves education, but it doesn't love psychedelic education for some Mm -hmm, reason. mm -hmm. Um, the reason for that is to just grow a bigger funnel to start to direct people towards these channels, but also to educate people because in our space, we have a lot of loud voices, but not necessarily a lot of informed voices in some spots. Um, and I'd love to have a platform and a channel where I can bring people in, you know, like the Alan Rockefellers of the world who just like sequencing is their thing. Um, and have them share and I don't know, things like pouring 400 agar plates at a time. I don't really want to sell a lot of agar plates, but I'm very willing to show you how to pour 400 agar plates at a time because somebody else, they want to jump on that sword. They're more than welcome to. It gets humid in there when you got like 800 plates on a table. Yeah, definitely. Uh, But the, uh, the easiest ways to reach us are through um, Instagram right now. We'll have our Facebook, the Discord, the Patreon all up by the time this publishes. Um, and then if you want to interact with just me directly, probably Kyle the Fun Guy is the easiest way to do that. 
um, simply because my personal Facebook and Instagram have way too many friend requests from people I don't know at this point. So I'd rather have a, a public forum where you can interact with me personally. And then um, for the company stuff, all of the genetics, all of the uh, supplies, events, testing data, all that stuff. Um, FC Genetics and uh, Full Canopy Colorado. If you want to purchase genetics, fullcanopygenetics.com. Um, mycology supplies would be fcmyco.com. We're only going to be offering sterilized substrate and sterilized all-in-one bags until sometime in the new, new year. It's hard to keep up with the local wholesale market and the retail market and run a mm-hmm. genetics company and sleep and exercise your dogs. So that's a next quarter problem. But um, yeah, we're a pretty open book. We'll try to tell you as much as we can. We do offer consulting services. Um, just know that we're usually booked out about a week or two in advance at this point. Solid. Well, you guys heard it here. Thank you so much, Kyle, for coming on the show today. If you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to give it a like. Don't forget to comment any questions or feedback you have down in the comment section below or wherever you're listening or watching at. And wherever you are listening and watching, make sure to give us a five-star review. Make sure to follow Kyle and FC Genetics on their social media platforms. And wow, what a great episode. Thank you so much. Don't forget to subscribe also. And don't forget to hit the bell icon for notifications of future episodes going forward. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And hopefully we'll have you on in the future to get some updates with your work. And best of luck to you and your team in the future. Yeah, thanks for having us. Maybe we'll do a lab tour or something next time. I just got all kinds of syringes and scopes out on the table right now. So You know, I might just have to make a trip down. If I, if I flew down there, would you, guys, would you guys have me? Yeah, sure. Solid. Cool deal. Sounds fun to me. All right, cool. Well, you guys have a good one. Enjoy. And Kyle, have a good week. Have a good weekend. Right back at you. It was a pleasure. All right. Thank you.